Good morning. Good to see everybody that's here today. I know we have a couple of guests, and I've already mentioned it to some visitors. Uh, please uh, be sure to come back next week when Mitch is back so you can hear what our regular preaching is like. Appreciate so much the opportunity to be able to deliver the lesson this morning. And as you can tell from the scripture that uh, was just read, we're going to be studying from Luke chapter 10, the story that we always refer to as the story of the Good Samaritan. And this story begins in chapter 10 of the book of Luke, in verse 25, with someone who's called he said, a certain lawyer who comes to the Lord and he says, uh, he comes to him wanting to test him. So the motives of this particular lawyer are not good, and he asks a question to Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus uh, answers his question, and the man has a second question. He asks, who is my neighbor? And both of those are good questions. What should I do to inherit eternal life, and who is my neighbor? But unfortunately, this particular fellow only did these things to test Jesus, and because he realized he wasn't obedient to the commands of the law, to justify his disobedience. But Jesus answers this second question, who is my neighbor, by telling this parable that we're all very familiar with, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And as we study this parable this morning, we're going to meet certain people that are discussed in the story. And I'm going to ask two questions of you as well. So be thinking about these as we proceed this morning. And the first is, do you see yourself in this parable in any way, individually? Do you relate or can you compare yourself to any of these other characters that are in the story? Be thinking about that. And secondly, I want us as a group of Christians, as the church here, to be thinking, do we see ourselves collectively as the church here at Franklin in this parable? And before we really get into the story, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Our kind and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this another opportunity we have to assemble with our brethren. Particularly, Father, at this time as we open up your word, we pray that you would bless us as we study it. Help us, Father, to learn lessons from it that will benefit us and others. Help us to have an open heart. Thank you for the truth of your word and for this particular passage that we will be studying this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm going to tell you as we start uh, studying this morning, we're going to look at this uh, text in basically three ways. The first thing we're going to do is look at the characters. And I'm assuming what's, what's on here is behind me. Uh, so if it looks like I'm discussing something that's not behind me, it's, it's not my fault. Sometimes this doesn't always uh, show what I want it to show. But we're going to study the characters, and we're just going to look at each one of them and try to learn a bit, little bit more about them. And secondly, we're going to make some comparisons. And that's why I said think about you individually. And how do you compare yourself to each one of these characters that we're going to look at this morning. And then third, we're going to look at the care. And this is really the application. This is what 
we should take away from this lesson that can ben benefit us and to be beneficial to other people. So let's begin, and, and we'll look at these characters. Now, most of us, even from childhood, are very familiar with this parable. It, it's a great parable. It's a great story. In fact, many people who are not perhaps very spiritual or religious have all heard of the Good Samaritan. And we have Good Samaritan laws, don't we? So if someone sees somebody in need and they stop to help them, that uh, even if that situation doesn't go quite right, they're protected because they're trying to help. Everyone knows about the Good Samaritan and certainly what that means. But let's look at some of the, the characters. First of all, it begins in verse 30, as was already read to us a moment ago. Jesus answers and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So the first person we want to look at is this fellow who's just simply called a certain man. And I think that word certain is used there in a way just to kind of basically say this could be anybody. And this could be you. This could be me. This is just kind of a random situation. And this particular man is the victim of a terrible crime. As these, uh, the next group of people we're going to look at, these thieves or these perpetrators of this crime, come and they steal from him, they beat him up, they leave him wounded, and he's half dead, the text says, when they go. So this victim of this crime, he's abandoned, he's injured, he's been abused by these perpetrators who are under the influence of Satan. They're the kind of people that plan to do something wrong and they inflict pain on others and then they just leave, not even knowing what uh, kind of what has been left behind in the wake of their crime. But then, of course, we have the priest and the Levite. And we go on to read about them. It says in verse 31, Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and pass by on the other side. And these are the people, sometimes we talk about these are the religious leaders, and they were. But in a broader sense, they're really just the spectators. They see what's going on, and they don't want to get involved. For whatever reasons they might have, maybe they were worried about becoming richly you know, impure as they were perhaps on their way to Jerusalem to, to worship, or, or maybe they were in a hurry, or whatever it could be. But the fact is, they were really just spectators. And Jesus will have something to say about that. But then we have, in verse 33, the hero of our story, and that is this man who's also described as a certain Samaritan. Not one in particular. When Jesus says, but a certain Samaritan, in verse 33, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, he's really an unlikely hero because when we understand the animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, it helps us to get this picture of really what this fellow did. The Jews despised the Samaritans. The Samaritans despised the Jews. The Samaritans were considered half-breeds and people who weren't really worthy of worshiping God. They were the outcasts, the, the dejected. But yet... Jesus, and this would really turn their world upside down, makes this fellow, this certain Samaritan, the hero of this story. Because it says that he was the one that had compassion, and he's the one who was the, the neighbor. 
And there's one more person mentioned in the story that we don't frequently talk about, and that's in verse 35, the innkeeper. I was talking with, with Josh briefly about the lesson, and he asked what I was speaking on. I said, the, this lesson, Good Samaritan, I want to talk about the, the innkeeper and what we know or don't know about him. And Josh's was, re- reply was, I guess he was a good capitalist. So I don't know if that's the only thing we learned because he took the denarii and made some money on the deal. But I think there's a lot more to him that perhaps we overlook. And we're going to talk a little bit more about him uh, at the end. So let's look at some comparisons. And this is where I want you to think about yourself. Don't think about other people. Don't think about uh, someone that you know that might fit that description. Let's think about ourselves as we look at these make these comparisons. And I want you, if you'd like to, hold your finger there, but turn over to the book of Galatians, chapter 5 and 6. We're just going to bring in a couple of scriptures here to help make our point. So we've got these four types of people. We've got the victim. We've got the perpetrators. We've got the spectators. And we have our hero. And I think if we try to put ourselves in this story and kind of in each one's particular situation, it can tell us a lot perhaps about our own life and ourselves. Let's look first of all at the victim. When I think of this this victim, I think of in my own situation of someone who's been wounded, been hurt, mistreated by people, and we all have. We live any time at all. We have to go through school and we're teased or perhaps someone bullies us or Perhaps parents let us down or teachers let us down. And for no reasons other than that, we just happen to be in a bad situation. Our parents might get divorced. Or we might have to move and, and go away from our family or our close friends. Our parents might lose their job and we might not have as much as other people have. We might lose a parent as we're growing up. All sorts of things happen to us as we live our lives. And we're not responsible for those things. Those things just happen to us. And sometimes we'll say, well, that's just life. And that's true, it is. But it doesn't change the fact that we, as we live our lives, are wounded as we grow up and as we continue to live our lives. And we need help. We're like that man, that certain man who was just traveling down the road trying to do the right thing. He had been to Jerusalem to worship. And these thieves come out and attack him. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You know, not only are we wounded by the world, but we're wounded by sin, the consequences of sin and our own sins, and mistakes and choices that we make. And we're like this, what Paul is talking about here in in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 6, we're going to sin. We're going to be overtaken in trespasses. And And we have to be careful that we think we're not capable of doing that. Which gets us to the perpetrators, me, a sinner hurting others. You know, I've done those things. I've hurt my family. I've hurt friends. I've hurt other people through things I've said, things I've done, choices I've made. 
In chapter 5 of Galatians, Paul goes through a whole list of, in verse 19 of the works of the flesh. And we might be tempted to say, well, I've never done any of those things because these are really bad. He talks about adultery and, and lewdness and idolatry and sor sorcery. Well, I've never gotten involved in that. We might try to tell ourselves that we don't have that problem. We've never been the perpetrators. But look at some of the other things that he says. Hatred, contentions, outbursts of wrath, selfishness. Now there's a list that perhaps we can start maybe to connect with even more. But then there's the spectators. You know, that's me. I'm living my life and there's somebody that could use my help, but I'm not available to them. Because I'm really concerned with my things. As I see the, the priest and the Levite walking down that road, and they see someone in need, but they've got perhaps this mission. They're, you know, they're men with the mission. They've got to get somewhere. And what they're doing is really important. I mean, a priest is serving in the temple. And the Levites were also very helpful in serving God in that way. Can we be like that? I know I have. You know, I've got my work to do. I've got my, when I was in school, I've got my papers to write. I've got my tests to prepare for. You know, and I'm doing good things. I'm trying to take care of my family. And, and yeah, people come up and they've got problems. But we all do. Maybe they should just solve their own. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3, there's a little bit of a warning here for those of us who think that we're something when we're really nothing. He says, if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he's deceiving himself. And a lot of the things that I'm worried and concerned about and I think are so important, how many of them are not really that important even a month later? Or a year or two years later? But when there's someone there that's in need, how important could that have been that I helped them? And then there's the hero. Can we put ourselves in the shoes of this good Samaritan? And I'm sure I'm probably looking at a group of people this morning who've done those things. You are the hero. You've been the hero. Helping in times when you didn't think you could. Having compassion for someone. Stopping what you were doing and taking that time that they need. Willing to share just what we have. And you know, I don't think the Lord asks us to do more than we can do. But the Samaritan helped in that way. And thirdly, as I mentioned, we're going to look at the care. Let's look at the care. And again, I've, there's three things I want us to look at, three verses in particular, so that we can see some applications to take away from the lesson this morning. So go back to chapter 10 of Luke. It says that this Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. Now, the first thing that the Samaritan did was he took action, immediate action. And he took care and bandaged the wounds of this fellow. He evidently wasn't concerned with the fact that he was a Samaritan and this other guy was a Jew. He didn't worry about the racial differences. He didn't worry about whether this guy could reimburse him in any way. He saw an urgent need. And to me, that's sort of like, you know, when we're, if someone's in an automobile accident or they've hurt themselves, and the first people to show up 
you know, it's the fire truck and the, the EMTs. And they immediately start solving the problem and trying to stabilize the person and see what they can do to help. And that's what the Samaritan did. But the second thing he did, uh, well, one more thing on that. He didn't stop and ask this guy a bunch of questions. You know, why were you walking down this road alone? Why were you carrying money with you? Why couldn't you run faster? Why couldn't you defend yourself? He just started helping and not asking. And sometimes we will come across people that need help. They don't need a sermon. They don't need a Bible track. But they need to see the gospel in action in what we do and our behavior as we help them. But secondly, he took him to an inn. And to me, this inn sort of rep represents like going to the hospital. Uh, going to the hospital is a place where after you've initially been stabilized, then you can go and get more long care treatment. Start really fixing the problems that have gone wrong. The hospital is a safe place. It's not at risk anymore of being attacked. And again, when we come across people that might be in distress, and we help them out of their immediate urgent situation, a lot of times, people have other problems that come up. Some of the issues that may have led them to that problem. And those also have to be dealt with. Uh, Michael mentioned it in his Lord's Supper talk this morning. He used the term several times, community. And that's really what the Lord's Church is. It's a community. It's a, a spiritual body of people who are themselves healing. And we bring in more people that need healing. And then finally, as he takes him to this inn, the next day it says in verse 35, when he departed, he took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So the next thing he did was uh, provide for continuing care. And this is, to me, kind of analogous to when someone's had an injury and they're, they're finished with their stay in the hospital, but they're still not completely well. They're not really able to fully take care of themselves and go home. That will send them to a place for physical therapy or a place of rehab so that they can really get well, so that they can live again on their own. And for me, in this story, I see this Samaritan representing not necessarily Christians, but the Lord who comes and who saves people from the worst thing that can be their problem, sin. And he takes these people and he puts them in his body, the community of, of faith, the church. And just like this Samaritan, he says, now I'm going to come back. And in the meantime, I want you to take care of these people. Not this last winter, but the winter before, when we had a lot of bad ice storms. Uh, I was leaving the house one morning to go to work, and it wasn't necessarily that urgent that I go to my office when we had several inches of ice on the ground, because as many of y'all know, I'm a landscaper, and there really wasn't any 
landscaping I could do that day, but I wanted to go to the office. And I was heading out, stopped my car at the top of our driveway, which is on kind of a slope. And I got out to walk down so I could close the gate. And I was in a hurry, too. I don't know why I was in a hurry. And of course, I slipped on the ice and not having any warning, fell completely on my back and my head. And luckily, I guess I hit my head because there didn't seem to be anything wrong there, but uh, Tina might say different, I don't know. I did hurt my back, upper back was pretty bad, and I went into the house and, and woke Tina up, and I didn't know, I felt like I might pass out. I just was in excruciating pain and all I could do was lie down on the floor. And so we you know, called the 911, and, and for me this is kind of very embarrassing, is they come and the first thing they want to do is make sure that you don't have any neck injuries, and so they put things around your neck, and they put you on a board, and, and all of this is going on. I don't really want any of this attention. And then they say, well, we need to take you to the hospital to make sure you're okay, and so because the roads were in such bad condition, they decided they needed to call a fire truck. <laughs> so the firemen arrived because they want help carrying me up to the street because they couldn't get down our driveway. And so now I'm feeling really embarrassed. But I was actually very glad, very thankful. When I got in the ambulance and they started giving me some sort of medication, I started feeling really good, really fast. I don't know what it was, but it helped. So these. Emergency people came, and they helped me. And then they got me to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, they do all the tests, the x-rays, and, and everything to see what's going on. And, and when that's done, I'm still not well. And so I'm given a prescription for physical therapy to go and to get uh, things in my back working better. And so I can really relate to these three things of care someone needing immediate attention, someone needing a place that's safe for care, and then a place to continue to get well. And I think all of these things have spiritual applications in this story. As we've seen, this is what the Samaritan did. He wrapped his wounds and he poured oil on his wounds. He took him to the end, and then he provided a means by which he could con continually have care one person commented on that, that the, the money he gave was enough for about two months' worth of rent in this inn. And perhaps that tells us a little bit something about how serious his injuries were, that he would probably take more, two months or maybe more to recover from them. So as I said, we're going to talk a little bit more about the inn and the innkeeper, because that is a person that in this story... I think is often overlooked. So what was so special about this inn? Well, first of all, the inn was a place of safety. It was a place away from the thieves. It was a place where he could get care. And it was a place of healing. And when I think of those things, safety, care, and healing, in a spiritual sense, in this story, I cannot help but make the comparison to the fact that this inn is really what the Lord wanted his church to be. 
that he wanted his community of believers, his body in the world today, to be this kind of place so that as he brings people into his body, those who have been wounded and hurt and injured in the world, would have a place to get well. Individually, I think we're all supposed to follow that example. We're supposed to follow the example of Jesus. And I think the example of the Good Samaritan here, that's the kind of person Jesus was. And collectively, we're to be this inn, this place of healing. Now, unfortunately, as I kind of alluded to earlier, we're all healing. The church is a group of wounded people who are all healing at different levels, different stages. And so we're all imperfect. And we don't know what everyone has dealt with. And so sometimes we bump into one another and sometimes we say the wrong thing and sometimes we get our feelings hurt. And sometimes churches have lots of problems. And all we had to do is read the book of 1 Corinthians to see a church that had a lot of problems and the advice that Paul gave to them. But I want to ask this question. Are we an in-church? Are we an in-church? You know, churches do a lot of things to attract crowds. And perhaps attracting crowds and large groups of people becomes an end of itself. That, that's why we're here. We're here to have a big crowd. And we might be tempted to look at some of the denominations in the world and, and be critical of, the things that they do in order to do that. But we also might need to ask ourselves the question, are there ways that we are like that ourselves, but perhaps in a different manner? Do we not want to be an in-congregation or a congregation that people think of positively? Do we not want people to think we have the best preacher? Don't we want people to think we have the best Bible classes? that we have the best facilities, we have the best young people, the best leadership, and that what is what makes the best church. And all of those things are good, and we have a lot of good things. We're blessed by the Lord, but those aren't ends of themselves. I think being in church, in the sense of the Good Samaritan story, means that we're a community of believers who are very intentional. And when I say intentional, I mean we've made a conscious decision that we're the kind of congregation that wants to go help people like that certain man who was wounded and abused and left on the side of the road. That we seek after those kinds of people. That we're deliberate that we plan to find those people. Not just that if they come in our midst, we'll be glad to have them, but that we're deliberate in wanting to have them here and that we're going to go out and get them and bring them here. And I think being an in-church means that we're inviting, that we are uh, engaging in outreach, welcoming, but most important that we have understanding. Because a lot of times when we talk about being an in-church, 
like taking in people that are wounded and hurt, it takes a great deal of understanding to understand that someone who hasn't been a Christian, that they're not a second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth generation family of the Church of Christ, is going to come into the church with different ideas, different backgrounds, different problems. And we have to be understanding that they're not going to just turn around and become just like we are if maybe they should. Maybe we should become more like they are in certain ways. And inclusive. That when someone does come in, that they are one of us. Not just that person who was in the world, now they're here. But they are a member of the family. That we share. That there's no class distinction or cliques. And we really are deliberate in trying to enfold people in our church family, in our community. As y'all know, or some of y'all know, when I was preaching downtown at Lindsley, which is an inner city church, if there ever was one, would have frequently homeless people were actually part of our regular group. Um, one time we had a, a get-together after services, and before I could leave the building, uh, people would just walk in off the streets there. It doesn't happen here. But down there, people walk in off the streets while you're preaching or while services are going on and, and they have issues. And a lady said she wanted to pray with the preacher, and so I came and talked to her, and she told me that she had just found out that uh, she had been tested positive for HIV and that she had contracted that from her husband. She had three children that she was a single mother and she was trying to care for them. And it really just overwhelmed me. The problems that people have in the world. And I get so insulated in my life because really I have problems, but I don't have problems. I might have inconveniences, but I don't have a lot of these problems. And I was actually very thankful for that opportunity to see some of that when we were there. Uh, one man uh, now stands accused of murder, who was uh, a regular part of our congregation when I was there. So it's some rough situations. Are we an in-church? Well, I think only God and, and Christ know the answer to that. For sure, we could survey each other and we could survey visitors and, and so forth. <clears throat> Part of my journey, as some of you know, years ago, I shared with the church uh, my struggles with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and some treatments I had received for that. But there were a lot of other problems congruent to that. Alcohol abuse, other addictions, many character defects, depression, suicidal thoughts, back in 2006. 
those are some hard problems for me. I went and talked to one of our elders. I didn't know what else to do. And I talked to all the elders after that. And I want to tell you, these are very godly men, but they're very compassionate. And not once, not one time, did I ever feel that they felt like I was just someone who couldn't get it together. Nothing but encouragement. Our current elders, plus Brother Nash and Brother Adams at that time, I don't know where I would be today if I hadn't been received like that. I believe this is an in-church, in the proper sense of that word. And I believe I see the congregation here acting as we reach out in the ministry of the prison and, and other places. And I'm very thankful for that. And as our church grows and I've seen it in the last two and a half years grow and new people keep coming in. I trust and hope it'll remain that way. And I just wanted to share that because I had talked to Mitch and I said, you know, I want to be available if there's someone who needs that help. You can tell them to call me. And some have. Sometimes all we have to give to other people is our own story and our own experience and how we got through a tough time. And I'm very thankful for this church. Jesus ended this story by asking this certain lawyer a question. Who do you think was the neighbor? to him who fell among the thieves. And he said, he who showed mercy, and Jesus said, go and do likewise. And that's our application. Let's go and do likewise. So be like that Samaritan and be like that inn and give God the glory. And if you're here this morning and you need help in any way, spiritual, physical, emotional, I know our elders would be very glad to talk to you and help you. And if you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel, but you would like to become a Christian today, you can be baptized this morning. And all your sins can be washed away. Or if you'd like the prayers of the church, in any way we can help you, would you please come to the front as we sing.